We're looking in uh, 1 John. It's telling us about the need to love others. And uh, it's very challenging because if we open our eyes, we see needs all around us. Uh, not just here in the church, but in the community and the world. In fact, uh, those who watched the royal wedding would have heard Archbishop Curry, not that I watched the wedding, but I heard his comment. Uh, Archbishop Curry say, if we truly love like Christ, there would not be a child going to bed hungry tonight in the world. And we all think, yeah, we'd want that, wouldn't we? And we can then feel even guilty that we're not helping make that happen. Um, What is true guilt and what is false guilt? Because they're both around. And we have inside of us that conscience that convicts us, rightly or wrongly. We're going to look at that today. And we can easily be overwhelmed. We can have such a sense of guilt that we just become overwhelmed. But is that right? We need to have a look and understand that. We don't want to just go through this book and uh, just have our conscience weighing us down and going away um, crippled by that and distraught by that. It's not the purpose at all of John. Let's have a look what he says about that in verse 18. It'll give us a framework for the passage we're looking at, 3.18. It says... Dear children, he calls them. He, he's using these affectionate terms, dear children, dear friends. He's really got to care for them. And he wants to be gentle. But he wants to say something that's firm and true, but being gentle. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, straight away, that can get us because, um, you know, we know that you don't just do words. You need actions and truth. But today's society is harder to do that because today's society, how do we usually communicate? Face-to-face? No. It's harder to do a face-to-face because people move around more. We're not together as way where life is faster. It's harder to catch people, isn't it? So face-to-face is not the primary way we communicate. The primary way we communicate is mobile phones and internet and if people are further away, Facebook. But it's, it's remote and it's not face-to-face. And because there's less face-to-face, that becomes, the other communication becomes more instant, but it also becomes shorter. And there's less, there's less or no opportunity for actions because you're not there. You can't do things with them. And relationships are vital to us. And we're created for relationships, and relationships can become shallow when there's not enough face-to-face and quality time and doing things with people together. They're showing now that because of the way communication is now with uh, the internet and all the things that come from that and mobile phones, people are being socially isolated and depression is becoming a big factor. Depression just comes down on people. Depression is is because you don't have that face-to-face. You don't have those relationships that are doing things with people rather than just talking. It's almost like watching the TV. You can watch the TV and have a relationship with the TV. Not much of a relationship. And people are falling into this, and depression is becoming a big problem. And one way the studies have worked out throughout the world, one of the main ways to beat depression is to re-engage with people, real people. That can be a major way of of turning depression around, of of preventing depression, is to re-engage with people and have that face-to-face, doing things, quality time with people. Other studies have shown too recently that um, how do you get happiness? Now, sometimes people think happiness is me having this, me having that, and in the end that is so focused on yourself. But they've actually found that happiness is giving things. 
giving in the framework that you spend time with people in a relationship and you understand their needs and you actually give something to them that helps them that will make a difference in their life and that makes you happy. Why? Because who are you looking at? You're looking at yourself and your own needs. I mean, if I look at myself and my own needs, I can never have enough. Are you the same? I mean, we're pretty well all right then, aren't we? We can never have enough. We're always, you know, the cup will never be full. It'll always be a bit empty because we look at ourselves. But when I look at someone else, I'm now no longer looking at my needs. I'm looking at someone else. And when I see someone else, they give something to someone else and it has a good response, I feel happy about that. And they're saying studies, this is outside the churches in society, saying studies have shown that giving brings happiness. So tying those together, tying those together of you know, the need for having relationships where you're actually able to do, you know, engage with people and then and where it's saying here we're to give in, um, we're not to just have do words, but we're doing action and truth, doing things to people. And happiness comes, studies show that. I think God's saying something because I only learned those two things during the week on a ra- two different radio shows. I was just driving somewhere, I turned the radio on and here was this professor talking from over in England, another professor talking for someone else in the other one. And I'm like, hang on, that fits exactly with what we're talking about today. Let's have a look at what John says about it. So already we said, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. And that needs to be face to face. And that is how we can be ha- find happiness. It goes on to say in verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. It's linking back that when we're doing things in, in loving, in action, in truth, um, we can see the truth of our behaviour, of that we are people who love God, who follow God. We're obeying his command to love because it's seen in what we do. And it's saying further, we know, we know. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. And the idea of knowing here is future tense. It's not saying we know right now, this moment we belong to truth, but it's saying we'll continue to know. It's a continual reassurance in the future. We'll continue to know. So when a crisis of belief comes and we want to know in ourselves whether we belong to Christ, we'll know we'll be able to examine ourselves because we know we're keeping the command he gave us. We're keeping the command to love one another. We'll look at a moment of that because as soon as I say that, I think, Oh, I can see lots of ways I don't love that I'd like to love. But we'll look at that in a moment. Because straight away when we say the idea of loving one another, my heart, probably your heart, says, I don't do that well enough. There's more I could do. Let's have a look what it says in verse 20. Well, the end of verse 19, it says, and will set our hearts at rest in his presence. And verse 20 explains how that's going to happen. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Our heart, we keep talking about our heart. We're talking about our conscience. We're talking about that part of our mind that you know, convicts us or makes us feel good about things that sort of judges and weighs up what we do. And if our heart, our mind, our conscience is condemning us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. God knows my weak attempts to obey his command. 
He knows all of us when we, when we aren't able to, to love in the way we want to or to love in the way that God tells us to. But he knows that, that in the bottom line is we have a true allegiance to following Christ. We're trying to follow Christ as best we can. You see, inside of our minds, it's like a trial going on. And there's this heart, this conscience is accusing us. And we're the one that's being accused. We're the defendant and God's the judge. And it's just going on in it. Well, it goes on in my mind. Does that happen in your mind? And you have this conscience accusing you and you feeling guilty and stuff. But remember, God is a judge. We sometimes forget that. We just have the two going on here. God is a judge and God knows everything. We've got to remember it can be a spiritual battle here too because sometimes the accusations from our conscience are true, but sometimes they're false. Sometimes it's the devil getting in and knows which buttons to press and wants to press those buttons to really stir us up, to really get us down, to get us worried and anxious, to break our trust in God and get us on the wrong track. He loves to do that. But when this is going on, God is greater than our hearts. He's more merciful than our heart. He's a God who welcomes and forgives the man who seeks his forgiveness and casts himself on his mercy. You see, even if you were in such a very dark place due to physical or mental illness, even if, if life was just so weighing you down that you, you're really, everything's just closed in and you can't even, you know, you're sort of God's locked out because of your mental state. You're no longer capable of a conscious faith in God. He still knows who you are. He still knows you're his. I've got a friend who's a mental health chaplain in a, in a psychiatric hospital and he tells me that you know, there's some people in there that, that are Christians but life has become so hard in them and they really struggle to have anything that we would call faith. You know, they, they can't even have their minds sort of go together to, to long enough, they're disjointed and whatever. They really struggle. And he, he knows this himself, what we just had here, that God knows the person. God knows that before this happened, the person loved Jesus Christ and followed God and now a sequence of events happen and they're really struggling and they can't, uh, ex- they can't talk about faith like we do. They can't live it out, but God knows. And to us who are healthy, God knows us. And he knows what's going on in our life. He knows whether our intention is to to love him and honour him. He knows if we struggle with that for whatever reason, God knows. So verse 21, we can have confidence before God. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The idea of having a heart that doesn't condemn when our heart is trying, when our mind is trying to condemn us and we say, no, we follow Jesus, we're trying to love, yes, we don't do it perfectly, we keep asking God to forgive us, then our hearts can't condemn us anymore because we're forgiven. And the heart that doesn't condemn is because we have confidence that we are loving and trying to do what God wants us to do. And in fact, here, we can ask anything we want and God will give us the answer. What does that mean? Let me read it again. Verse 21, 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That idea here is that we can ask God to help us love other people. Remember, we've got to take this in context. 
Uh, sometimes when it says you can ask anything, people can think, oh, beauty, I can ask to win the lotto this week. That'll be great. It's not saying that at all. You've got to read it in context. It's here talking about the struggle we have to love one another. And we can ask God anything to help us with that, and he will because that's his purpose for our life. And whatever we ask has got to be according to his will. Obedience to obey him, to submit to him. And it's present tense here. It's saying not just um, ask once, but keep on asking. And who's the supreme example of this, of asking God? The one who, who obeys God, who pleases him, and then asks God in prayer and God answers his prayer? That's Jesus. We need to be like that. People who rely on God, trust in God, obey God, and we can ask things of him and be confident he hears us. And particularly here about loving one another which is a hard thing for sometimes for us to do. Hard to do because of time, hard to do because of things going on in life, but also it can be sometimes hard to do for the particular person, for whatever reason. I can think of one person right now, it's hard to love that person because of you know, how they, their attitude and how difficult they are, and we need to be praying, how can I love that person? God help me love that person. Verse 23. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The person who can come confidently before God and ask his help in prayer to love one another is the person who believes in the name of Jesus, believes in who Jesus is, son of God, Christ the Messiah, made man, fully came in the flesh, Remember, he's writing to people in a church who have um, false teachers saying that Jesus is not really the Christ. Jesus was just a good man that God somehow used. Um, They've got people who are, are watering down, bringing down who Jesus is. And he's saying, no, we need to be the opposite. We need the people who, who always are expanding our thinking about Jesus. We're always lifting him higher. We're wanting to know more of him. We never sort of get to the point where we we think we know Jesus. We want to keep just growing in our understanding and our knowledge and particularly in how important Jesus is to us. And so we believe in him. We trust in him. We pattern our life on Jesus. And we're told to love one another as he commanded us. And that's what John's been talking about in this passage. Love in truth needs that face-to-face stuff, needs actions that go with it. It can be summed up to believe and to love because faith in Jesus Christ is a decisive decision to, to turn, to repent of your sins, to turn to him and ask his forgiveness, to turn and follow him. But on the other hand, love is going to be a continuous attitude that now happens in our life and keeps on going. And both of these things, faith and love, are the test of a true Christian. In verse 24. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. 
I'm reminded straight away of Jesus in John chapter 15 talking about the vine and the branches. He's talking himself about him, him being the vine and the branches. We're linked to him and while we remain in him, we, you know, he abides in us. And it talks about that idea of continuing to abide in Jesus, continuing to be connected. And in, in John 15, that connection is by obeying him. And it does say in that passage about loving too. So it's just echoing what John's saying here. Maybe John's thinking back to when Jesus said that because he was there. But that idea that we live in Jesus, we'll continue to abide in him and we'll do that by obeying him. Remember the people who are behind this letter, the, the false teachers saying, no, it's some sort of mystical experience. It's some sort of you know, thing that happens to you. And he's saying, no, it's by confessing who Jesus is and having a life of holiness and love that follow from that. And the Spirit, the Spirit is God's Spirit who's going to work in us that we might know Jesus. And the Spirit is going to be the the test of abiding in Christ because the Spirit's going to want to give us that desire, the Spirit's going to give us that want and desire to love and to live a life of obedience of pleasing to God. Today I want you to go away and remember God knows everything about each and every one of us. And we will struggle and continue to struggle as followers of Jesus Christ. This world is going to be a challenging place. Is it going to get better? No, it's going to get worse. Just think back. Yeah. What's happened in our lifetime, in your lifetime? Even Lockie's is about the youngest here. Um, he's looked up. Um, life is changing. Yeah? Life is changing for all of us. Society changes. About marriage, about abortion, about the real society. And for us who have lived longer than Lockie, yeah, we can think back when Sunday there was nothing else happening on church on Sunday, nothing happening except church on Sunday. Society is moving. And where years ago uh, what God said would be uh, recognised in our parliaments, now it's just uh, oh, yeah, pushed aside. The society and the world is changing and it's going to keep changing. It's not going to get an easier place in this country for us. Some countries are going the other way. They're having a bit of a revival and coming back. But we're in a place where it's not going to be easier. And so three things we need to do. We need to believe. We need to have that faith in Christ, knowing who he is, keeping our eyes focused on him and Christ being more and more and more important to us every day. And we need to take seriously the idea of loving our brothers and sisters in a, a real and practical and effective way, a love that's going to engage with them, a love that's going to um, give things to them. And we'll benefit by that because we'll get that feeling of happiness that we, you do get. And thirdly, we need to live morally upright lives. We need to be godly people because God knows everything.